Uh, so tonight, I always say, look, look, at this point, you know, I record these at night. I say tonight, you could be listening in the middle of the afternoon at eight in the morning. In fact, I release them in the middle of the afternoon. So whatever. But the fact is tonight, as I sit here, it is an evening. And, uh, this episode is with Dr. Clara Bowler, uh, Clara Vaz Bowler. Uh, she is, uh, some, one of the people that through this whole pandemic time, I have created a really close academic bond with. So uh, nominally, the topic is going to be about um, bilingual education and, you know, the centering of whiteness and so forth. The stuff that I tend to talk about on here, oh, I didn't even say this is on standardized English. You should probably be aware of that. Um, But we're probably just going to end up talking about whatever. I mean, I tend to think, because I go through these episodes after I record them, and um, the episodes where, where, you know, I think that are the most entertaining is when it was somebody that I know really well. And uh, none of the other ones aren't entertaining. They're just a different tenor. So I think you'll all enjoy this one. You know, knowing what Clara and I talk about, uh, we're going to get it going. But we're going to talk a lot about the language teaching field, we're going to talk a lot about, um, you know, the way that whiteness is centered. We're going to talk a lot about how difficult it is to change the field of language education from the inside um, and all those things. If you like the work and you're able to do so, please support the show on Patreon. The link is in the show description. Thank you for listening. So funny that she. Okay. So, uh, welcome back, folks, on Saturday's English. Uh, as I said a second ago, I'm here with Clara Bowler. And we're going to talk, um, after she introduces herself, we're going to talk about challenging the structures of TESOL, but from our various positions as insiders to some extent, although we're sort of, we're both insiders slash outsiders because there's ways in which we're also on the outside. But before we get into all of that, uh, I'll have Dr. Bowler introduce herself. Vera. Oh, hello everyone. I, I have to say JPB, I suck at introductions. I don't know, maybe it's like um, trauma, trauma from when you have to introduce yourself from your school experience <laughs> and then you know when people just follow what you or other people are saying and uh and i never liked that uh so i'll try my best um clara bowler i work at the uh as a tso bilingual professor at adelphi university i teach courses on sociolinguistics uh, for teacher educa- uh, education students and TESOL methodologies. Um, I love working with uh, teacher candidates and uh, in all content areas. And that leads me to my love for interdisciplinary work. So I lo- love working with ideas. Uh, I also work with STEM folks, uh, which is an interesting topic for some other conversation. And um, Yeah, so I'm here. I think that I'm from Brazil. Um, I grew up in Brazil. I was born in the U.S. Um, My mom is Jewish. My dad is Catholic. That's how I define myself. I mean, uh, positionality-wise, which is kind of interesting. I don't know. I think I'm still learning how to position myself um in the u.s as i didn't grow up with the same categories um so that's something that i think has been part of my journey uh these years about feeling comfortable with who i am and um and how people see me which is uh interesting too like um anyways so could be topic of the conversation too so um, you, what, what technically, because I, I think it's important for the conversation, what is the, the department, the name of the department that you're in? <laughs> Very important, yeah. It's TESOL Bilingual. Yes. Yes, and, um, you know, there's, 
you work with a lot of people who are starting their teaching career or who have yet to start their teaching career. So you're really at an important juncture for this field, right? Because for all the things I say about how the field needs to change, the most impactful place for it to change is for people who haven't really entered the field yet. You know, we, I can give all these trainings for people who've been in the field for 20 years and maybe they'll listen to me or whatever, but that still means that there's 20 years where they didn't have that support. They didn't have these ideas to change. Um, but if someone is joining the field, like I'm thinking about how much different things would be if I had gotten these lessons when I was actually joining the field. I didn't just stumble into the field not knowing anything. So, you know, it's a challenge though, because what they're, what they give you as epistemology as back, you know, baseline knowledge to impart to new teachers is something that you have to break away from consciously or else you're going to be reinforcing things that, uh, you know, are harmful to people. Yes, I think it, that's very interesting because uh, for a long time, I felt uh, misplaced in what I was doing because um, I, I love, I, I pursue this kind of work that is working with uh, candidates or students, right? The students uh, that are preparing to be teachers uh, that are not preparing to be TESOL uh, educators. They are in math, science. And I started that back in California. And, and, and it's interesting because uh, I feel oftentimes that the students that are preparing to go into becoming, let's say, an ESL or an ENL, whatever you call it, uh, uh, working with multilingual students, right, in school, uh, they, I feel that a lot of them, uh, they, they, they are kind of like our, on our, they understand more, especially if they come from diverse backgrounds of their students of color, right? So they right away they're like, "Yes, I know what you mean. I, 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 I know. Uh, I really value the the students. I, I know who they are because I have been there somehow, and and I ex had similar experiences. And we have a lot of students uh, with that kind of background that go into the field. Uh, to become an ENL uh, teacher, right? But I think that the work is more uh, is very interesting when we get to work with uh, students that are not preparing to be uh, uh, English as a new language or ESL teachers because they uh, it's completely new to them, and that goes to what you were asking GPB about. Um, uh, moving away from a lot of epistemologies or because they the ideas that they bring about language um, are very uh, traditional right because that's what that's that's what they were exposed to uh, their whole lives um, uh, ideas about also about um, uh, the students that are uh, immigrant students right um, that they think, oh, um, I don't know, I, I am afraid of working with these students. I, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't connect. And then many students start this way. But it's surprising that how, how, um, how conversations really open up um, as you are um, challenging these ideas and these myths and ideologies. And so I think that I, my experience is that the, 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 the students are really um, eager to have these conversations, I think. So my question then is really like, so putting the TESOL students aside for a second, because this is mm -hmm. an interesting aspect of it. It's you're, you're coming from the language teaching field, but you're teaching non-language teachers about students. So I know that you do things differently, but I just wonder if you can tell me about how you were trained to teach non-language teachers about language students, right? Because that's yeah. a unique thing. And I'm wondering what assumptions were, are made, you know, what was given to you, you know, what are people who aren't, it's one thing we've talked on this podcast and in general about all the things, the assumptions that are made for language teaching. And that's one of the things I spent all my time talking about. But 
I want to know, like, because, you know, I'll tell you in a second some more about this, but like the way that someone classified as a language learner is thought of for people who, when they're going to be outside of the class, outside of their sphere of, of where they've been pushed, put off to the side, uh, but they got to take math. So now you got to teach them, okay, how do you teach these people math, but you're not a language teacher, you know, so. Which is kind of what happens because the language teacher, uh, especially now, and I'm very critical of this, um, the, 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 the recent um, implementation of co-teaching model in New York, for example, uh, really um, was well-intentioned, but really pushed to the side the role of the, the, the language teacher because they, they have to go into the mainstream teacher's classroom to support the students and they end up being assistants uh, in oftentimes because they don't have co-planning time, it's a mess. So the marginalization of language teachers is huge uh, in practical terms. So what happens is that the main classroom teacher in elementary teacher and in secondary, all of the content area teachers become the, the uh, become the main, uh, they become the main teacher. So they have the students that are very diverse um, and many don't know how to work with those students and they are and the students end up especially students that are are immigrants right uh, in secondary and uh, they just they they are just left to the side completely and 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 I hear from many I did research on, on this a, a long time I hear from many of the language teachers that um, they want to help and they want and they see what's happening but their power is so limited because they are inside another person's classroom so that power gets very limited but how i learned to and i'm still learning <laughs> how to do it is i i i don't know i started working with um well i did my ba um in ma in brazil so i the education that i had um, becoming a teacher was very different from the one I, I see here in, in, in the U.S. So I think that uh, my ideas are heavily influenced by Paulo Freire, for example. So, so then I brought that philosophy with me and I, it guides all of my practice. So I think that uh, that is a major difference in terms of being prepared for something. Like I go into something with that frame of mind right so I have to learn from the students the students are going to uh, we are going together to figure this out um, and find resources and other people to think with us but um, I'm still learning because it's 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 challenging I mean I, I I think that from the outside we think oh yeah that's the it's unfair and yeah you have to include everyone and the New York State was very proactive and in, integrated everyone into the mainstream class and classroom and that's the right decision but to do that you need that all of the teachers to be very prepared right uh, both in both I think not only in terms of strategies, because strategies are easy to implement, giving a graphic organizer, whatever, uh, sentence frames, whatever. No, that's not what they need. They really need their assumptions about uh, who these students are to be challenged and to be grounded in different alternative ideas, because otherwise they are just, um, just not, not teaching everyone, right? It's not, uh, it's not just. So it's, it's, it's messy, it's messy. I mean, I think, you know, some, when I first was, I, I never really read a whole lot of um, contemporary research when I was in my master's or in my training program. It wasn't really centered there. It was very, you know, like we've talked about very like, here's the teaching method, you know, we moved on from grammar translational, but now we're doing communicative method or communicative communicative approach or whatever. And and you could choose an approach, you're gonna go with that. None of these approaches really change, you know, challenge the hierarchies or anything like that. Like I understand that communicative is better than grammar translational because you're not just repeating stuff. But uh, you know, we all know we've had our issues with the communicative people. Um but, but uh because ultimately you just finding a different way to approach some sort of gospel. They just love their little gospel thing. Um, but what I like about, you know, Freire's work, not the only thing I like about it is 
you know, even he and his work make it clear that it can't be dogmatic, right? That, you know, they're, you know, to think that you know everything about it because you have this approach that you can be rigid and, and unwavering from your approach is to miss the point. So, um, and I, I think we read one essay of his in my master's program, but whatever. Um, but again, so, but then when I started to read the research, this was my point, um, and I was in my doctoral program, and so much of the research was the same stuff we were always talking about. It was things like, you know, which which is more beneficial, pull it, pull, sorry, pull out or push in, right? You know, but, you know, those two very frequent models for, you know, the way that, um, you know, language teaching is delivered in, in, in you know, K-12 classroom, push out or pull in, but both of them stigmatize the language students. Both of them say you're not in the regular class. Um, and I'm not saying no one needs extra support, but it's like comparing these two stigmatizing ways of doing things is not getting at the fact that they're stigmatizing. I'm not saying both of them are bad. I'm saying we need to think differently about the way that they frame students because when this is the only thing that, 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 that teacher candidates or future teachers or novice teachers read or are exposed to, they think that these are the only options. And that's why when the things that we talk about come up, they, they're just like, I don't know, I'm scared because it's uh, unfamiliar to them. And I understand it would be unfamiliar to me if that's the way I thought, you know? So, um, yeah, because I think I think about the way people's, you know, assumptions are built in when they come into the classroom for the first time. And I think that it's not that people can't improve after that point, because I did, you did, and all that. But like, I just think that's such an important fulcrum, you know, and a really important point at which to, to get people. And all the work that I've been doing was with people who are coming later, and it's harder because you know, I can't remember where I wrote this. I think I maybe I wrote it in my book or something, but where I was talking about, like, it is understandable to me if you learn that your credential is whiteness more than it is any expertise, um, that your standardization that you are more comfortable with because you're more familiar with it is not actually better, right? If you learn all the stuff that we talk about in these ideologies and, we, and you unlearn these things, you now have to grapple with the reality of the decade or decade and a half that you spent pushing these things and you can't undo it, you know? And it's not necessarily your fault. I mean, it's people's fault if they heard it and didn't listen, but still like, I don't necessarily blame a completely novice teacher for doing what they were told or taught to do. And so if you learn as I did about racial linguistic ideologies and, and the harm that they do. Um, and you learn about, you know, different ways that our epistemology is oppressive. Then you have to sit in what you have spent all of this time doing. And who wants to do that? Who wants to sit in the harm that they caused and know that they can't go back and undo it? Like you, you cannot. You can do better going forward, but you still spent 10, 15 years in the classroom screwing up. Um, and that's, I think, what stops people from making the changes because if you admit the change, you, 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 your identity is missing something. And one part of your identity is being a, you know, a hero or a good person or something like that. And you feel like if you admit that, that you know, the things that you've assumed about the students were harmful, then you were doing bad things and you can't you're not allowed to be the bad guy, the bad woman, or whatever. So I just think that that's really a big part of it. Yeah, definitely. I had never thought about that this way, but it's true because uh, you are right that you would force someone to go back to things that they did wrong. Even, uh, I don't know, I was thinking about myself too, that when I started teaching the things that I did wrong and I painfully remember that 
uh, and feel so bad uh, about it, right? And uh, and, 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 and the whole, and when it's systematic, right, systemic, it's even worse because I see this happening with uh, my students that I see them, them being very eager uh, to learn and to, to, to debate and have like discussions about uh, ideas, right? Um, if we read, let's say about racial linguistic ideology, they are all over it and they're like, yes, uh, I can see their, their positive response. But when they go into the field for student teaching, it, it, it's almost like they have to learn uh, <laughs> to be a teacher. They have to leave all of those ideas behind because school is demanding a certain uh, way of doing and being right from them. And it's very hard um, uh, it's at the student, I, uh, from my experience working with uh, uh, student teachers, it's at the student teaching moment that I feel that sometimes very hopeless because the mentor teacher has certain, has, has such power, right, to you. And, they, and if you get a mentor teacher that um, uh, uh, will, will model these harmful practices, uh, you feel like you have to to do the same and and it's very hard so i have had some students that are like this bad experience is good because it liberates them once they are finished and they're like i don't want to be like that it's almost like it's better to have a the worst mentor teacher in the world because then they rebel against it but but if you have a very good mentor teacher sometimes it's that teacher that uh, the school thinks is the best and is the most traditional one that one that we will really follow all the protocols and and do all of these uh things that people think are right and then that's when it's really disheartening because you feel that um yeah they are lost to the system or something uh so I don't know. It's it's really tough. It's 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 tough because school is such a force, and uh, the way school is organized, uh, that um, yeah, even the names. So you like names, uh, JPB. Even the names like IEP and uh, I don't know whatever. Pull it, uh, push in, pull out, co-teaching. So they learn all of these vocabulary my low students, my high students, my, and then you start seeing like that progression of really getting into the, as an insider, right, of this culture, of uh, this toxic culture, because school is a toxic culture. I'm sorry to say that, but it is. And, um, and, and then I feel it's, it's super hard. It's super hard. I think, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, because, you know, one of my developing ideas and theories is that, you know, the people who take my class, the whiteness stuff that I do, like they had to come to this interested. No one comes to my class half-ass. No one's like, you know, I don't know about this. Like they're still making a choice. And uh Whereas most of the trainings and the changes we do, you know, we're, we're trying to do it in a way that's going to have more mandatory impact on people. And that can work on some people because there's some people who just go along and get along. They're just like, all right, whatever. Um, but it's not going to work on the hardliners. But forget about the hardliners. I think that the people who go along and get along are what's important because there's a few people in every teacher education program who are really going to cause a lot of trouble because they don't, they really don't care about the students at all. There's not that many though. Like every group, it's just not that many. Right. Most of the people are people who are going to go along to get along. And what they're going to go along with is the structures that are already in place. They're 21, 22. They come out of school. They get placed into a, a building and, the, and they're just like, these are the practices that you got to follow. What you're going to try and buck the trend. You need support of your workers, your coworkers around you to, to get through it, because forget about all these ideologies. It's just hard to be a teacher the first year. Even if you're teaching overseas, I didn't know what I was doing and you need support. And if I'm going to come in there and challenge the way they're doing things and they've been doing it for 20 years, they're not going to help me. They are not going to help. I'm like, hey, I need help. I'm overwhelmed. But also the ideologies that you push in your classroom are really harmful. 
<laughs> they are not gonna help me. Yeah. And that's such a hard conversation, JPB. I, I, I remember, I think my, my greatest challenge is having these conversations, really. Like, for example, I go and observe. My students maybe will hear this someday, but uh, I go and observe my students, and uh, they, they can testify to this. And I see them, like, following practices that are harmful. Uh, but following like the, the, the mentor teachers, let's say lesson plan. I mean, they have to do it, right? They're highly monitored and their grades and everything is based on that. But then I, 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 then I, I sit down with the, 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 my student and oftentimes with the, the mentor teacher, right? And then to have that conversation and, and, and that's when I, I, I think that's when I, I, I take a deep breath, breath and I think, how can I best communicate this to these two people because this is not working, right? This is not, I mean, I have a responsibility. I have to say it. I always said it, but the way you say it is also very important because you can really... Um, uh, you, you can really uh, be transformative in that moment and really push this forward and maybe change something with that conversation. But you can also pose such antagonism and that uh, they will, uh, that the consequences can be really disastrous, right? They could, uh, I don't know, harm the student teacher or they could harm the students. So this, if the students, for example, I had oftentimes I had students that, uh, student teachers that were loved more than the teacher, the mentor teacher. So what do you do in that situation, right? Because anyway, there are so many of these situations. And, um, and, then, uh, and, and then I have learned my role that I have to keep pushing, but how, right? What is the most effective way to do that? Uh, that is not going to uh, create even more uh, uh, harm in the long run. So, yeah. I think that used to happen to me a lot because um, I remember one time I, uh, this is not quite the same situation, but I remember one time when I was working at a really shitty for-profit school in Queens um, and I worked whatever hours I worked and then you know, they, if somebody had to take a day off, they would send an email out like, hey, who wants to take this class? And so I did that one week and I took this evening class and I didn't usually teach in the evening. And then I did this thing with my full energy and they said, oh, we like him, where did he come from? And I can see, you know, popping in and having a lot of energy really just goes a long way with some people. And, um, you know, frankly, sometimes it's just that the people who, who the student teachers might just seem like they care. <laughs> you know and you know seeming like you care I mean people can tell when you actually care about their well-being and I don't think that the way that the field is structured is to demonstrate your affection for people's well-being so you know yeah there's more to it than that but I don't know how much more to it than that there is like that seems simple but I, but, but, but people don't really love the full humanity of their students. Like, like it's, it seems like if I say, oh, well, I love my students, you know, um, you know, it seems so straightforward, but a lot of people don't because one of the things I was writing lately was about, obviously I was talking about like racism and parents and stuff like that. And like, if you don't love the full person, then you don't love them, right? You don't get to love half of a person. You know, um, and that's true for students. I'm not talking about like romantic love or anything like that, but just in terms of like genuinely loving and respecting your students and, and believing in their ability and so forth. Like you got to love all of it. And uh, I think that that is hard for some people to, to do, which is understandable, hard for some people to grasp. And sometimes it's really hard to notice that you're not doing it because you don't realize that what's stopping you from really loving them is the, ideal, the ideologies that you've been dragged into against your will. 
you know, like one of the teacher licensure things that I was looking at with a group lately. Um, and we're looking at um, each state has its own, like, here's what you have to do to be a, a TESOL certificate, right? Each state has their own thing. Some of them are pretty good. Some of them are really extensive and some of them are really like deficit, you know? Um, and there's a bunch of states that say students who struggle with English or sorry, sorry, students with limited English proficiency or disabilities will have X treatment. And you're just like that or, that or is doing a lot of work because you see that people are gonna be classified as both, but it's, it's, it's already in the conceptualization, the way that we think of people who don't use the language, the dominant language as being less able, you know? So it's really interesting and sad to think about the way that even if you haven't thought about disability at all, you're like, I'm a language teacher, I'm not doing special education. But the, like, I don't think there's all that much difference between the epistemology of special education and the epistemology of language teaching, because both of them are, you know, these, here are these people that we separate from everybody else. And it doesn't mean that there is never a reason to separate them, but as a function of the discipline, these people are different. But these people are different is very closely tied to these people are worse or less valuable or so forth. So I just don't see all that much different, especially in the in the research on the students between special education and and language education. Not because the two are the same, but the way that they're thought of, both of which are like distance from the norm. Yeah, and I and and the and the students come with that person. Their students preparing to be teachers. They come with that perspective too. I think it's it's also like there are so many of these ideas that um, on the surface uh, I see there is a superficial level of understanding, and then there there is a deeper level. So, for example, uh, there are some common sense assumptions, right, of things that and theories that go with these common sense assumptions that justify. So behaviorism is one of them, right? It makes sense. Like you create bad habits, you have to cut the bad habits, right? It's such a commonsensical theory. Uh, the other one is also, um, what is it called? Learning, learning theories. No, learn, no, the visual learner, the, the auditory learner. What is that? Um, what is it called? That one, the Gartner one? Yeah, learning styles. Learning styles, yeah. So everybody loves learning styles, right? It's such a commonsensical also one. And I think they the, the, the ideas that frame special education and, and TESOL in general also are so commonsensical too. Like, uh, oh, okay, they have needs and they have to be supported. So how can we support these needs? Oh, we have these strategies, right? So you have solutions for everything when you categorize stuff. So I think that uh, it's simple, simple theories. Even translanguaging, I think that translanguaging, I have, I have been having a hard time lately with translanguaging because I love translanguaging, uh, but I, I come from a, a perspective of translanguaging as being more of a Freudian kind of thing that, yeah, let's have the students all like brainstorm ideas in a lot of languages and get, have, get, let's get those ideas and put together and ex I don't know, I have this amazing like multilingual kind of idea of translanguage which which I think it should be uh, for learning right so let's say you're learning science and then you get all of these ideas in all, a lot of languages you mix your language and then you come up with really brilliant ideas about science because science is exciting right uh, when you are in elementary school and so but uh, I, I see that translanguaging now uh, as it is becoming more popular, it's like, oh, yes, we need to accept the students' languages. So it's like commonsensical too, right? So yes, let's accept their languages, but it's not really about accepting. I mean, it, think about it. If, you, if you're accepting, is also kind of, yeah, I will accept your language, okay? And you can use your language, even like monitoring when to use the language or not. It's not about accepting the language. It's really about um, using that language actively to create meaning, right? Uh, because that's part of who you are. When you're in your brain or whatever, you are thinking about it, you know, whatever resources that you have, and you use these sort of resources to learn. But it's such a... An, um, a difficult thing 
to understand unless you experience that, right? Because otherwise it makes sense of, oh yeah, here you can write this vocabulary in, I don't know, Chinese, Portuguese, Spanish, and I accept that you do that. And I think that's such a superficial way of, um, of thinking of translanguage and also thinking again of the human being that is involved there, right? In that kind of thinking. So yeah, these common sense assumptions I think are, are very um, dangerous. I mean, when I think of translanguaging, I just worry sometimes. I, I really like translanguaging, obviously, too, but it's it's deliberately transgressive, right? Because as soon as you start to... Yes, that's what it is. Good. Right. Good and, and, and I think it's once you start to... I can see them, who's them, but you know what I mean, um, putting together like, and here's how you translanguage. And I was like, no, that's not, it's not how it works. It's like, you can't just learn to translanguage them. Because if, 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 if it's, if it can just be, you can, if you can just learn to translanguage, like you sat down with a book and now you're great at translanguaging between like English and Spanish and something else, then the people with power are just going to take it over. It's just like bilingual education, right? Which is like, it used to be, you know, it's supposed to be because a lot of the ways it came out bilingual education was because they were people who were bilingual and they weren't being respected. So, you know, it was seen as different from foreign language education. Right, foreign language education was always like, what are these European languages? But like bilingual education was was supposed to respect the people who already spoke various languages. But then it became a feather in people's cap. And like I, you know, when I these freaking daycares that you know try to get me to to put as a because you know before we found the current daycare, you know we were looking around and I got a bunch of you know I looked at a couple of them and if you fill fill the things out they send you you know like. They start texting you, calling you, whatever. Um, and the, the locations didn't work. And we found this one, which is right by our apartment. Um, and which is convenient because they are eventually sending me back to the office. But <laughs> um, they, uh, they text you and I get all these emails still. And I just am too lazy to unsubscribe because there's too many. Um, most of my emails are just nonsense and I still, I have to have inbox zero, so I must get rid of them. Anyway, um, there's just like, you can have Mandarin, you can have this, you can have this, your child will learn this, your child, and I'm just like, this kid, he's one, like, what, why is this such a, like, you know, why are we trying to turn people into like marketing objects for their whole lives? I understand that there are valuable skills in the world and language can be one. But this idea that people should just keep just amassing languages like their Pokemon, you know, I'm not saying that it's bad to speak several languages. I'm just saying that like a list of separate languages to me isn't nearly as compelling as the way that people already communicate to speak to one another. And that's what trans languaging often is. It's describing the full repertoire of people whose languaging has never been respected as opposed to being something that, and let's, be, let's face it, something that white people should learn. <laughs> so uh, that's the way I think of it as, as, a, as, a, as a difference, you know? Yeah, but it's funny because it gets appropriated. I, that's what you were saying, right? It's, it gets appropriated as this, um, I don't know, it, I, I just feel that for example, listing it as strategy, right? So it is, it can be used as a strategy, but it's not a strategy in itself, right? It's really about understanding how, 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 how the multilingual person makes sense of the world and using that to learn to create new knowledge. And that's so important when you are learning math and you're learning science or history, whatever. And like you said, it's a violence not being able to do that. It's a denied violence for someone that yeah, speaks multiple and whatever, um, not to be able to express themselves the way they are, they want to, right? So it's, it, so I think yeah, you're right, it's transgressive in itself because it's, it's a, also about uh, justice and against violence. Uh, and, and, but I think it's hard to say that, right? Because I think I do feel my students, um, when we talk about this, they they understand this but when again when they go into the, because you know my my classes um 
a lot of them are are at the foundations level, right? So it's like we're talking about things when you are not having the experience in the field to be able to enact those ideas. But when when students go into the field and student teaching, then it seems like wow, where where did all of those go, right? Because they uh, so with the bilingual students they go to um what is it called, um, the dual language program or a bilingual program. And there they learn that uh, they cannot speak English on the Spanish day or Spanish hour, whatever. And, and then, uh, and then that, that's it, right? They, they have to follow and uh, no English allowed on the Spanish days and vice versa. So, uh, which is, it's pretty sad and um, yeah so I, I think that that's one of the main challenges with working with teacher education that uh, the school schooling right is 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 I think is the place to attack because it's it's just that this huge organization and systemic organization with schedules and with uh, uh, hierarchies with uh, people monitoring you all the time, with rubrics that they bring to observe you, with uh, um, mentor teachers and student teachers uh, monitoring surveillance, and, and there's there's a lot of that, and also there's a lot of uh, school as just being this place where the kids go because they need to be somewhere and they need to be uh, to behave well so we need to make sure that they are behaving and they are fed and they are they are and then there's a little bit of math here and there and but you are going to be tested and you're going to be put in a group according to this test uh, so that's better managed managed because if i have different groups i can manage better so uh x y and z go to the low group because they couldn't read uh what i gave them and the other ones go to these other groups because they are reading really well, so they can read by themselves. It's one less problem that I have to solve. And it's a lot about that school. So I kind of get depressed when I, when I go to school because that's the only thing I can see. I, can, I cannot see anything else. I just see that and that overwhelms me. Think about the way that I had um, when I worked at the seniors, not the seniors, at the nonprofit. Um, we ha we had mostly classes that were during the day, but we had one class that was in the evening, and that always had bad att bad attendance because people were coming after work, you know. Um, and we had it up until I was almost not there anymore, and it was just sort of like, we can't keep this freaking class going. They're not showing up, which I understand. Um, but there was one person in that class. And everyone who taught her said she like she quote unquote knows nothing. And I'm like, this woman works in a doctor's office. I'm not trying to say that credentials and expertise make you more worthwhile than someone who's a stay at home, whatever. That's not what I'm saying. But you clearly can't say she knows nothing <laughs> just because you can't communicate with her the way you would like to. Um, and you know, she was a very committed student, but we couldn't keep the class going for one person. So um, but that's the way, people, even if people don't, don't say it that explicitly, it's what they think, you know, and people don't even realize that that's what they think. You know, um, we think that if people aren't communicating with you in a way that you expect, then they must not be intelligent. You know, I, I had a student in Korea who, he would act up in class, and he wouldn't listen. And there were a bunch of kids who didn't understand what I was saying. So I just assumed that was the case with it. Right, and I'm, I don't blame. I'm, I don't say that I had an issue with kids who understand what I'm saying, but I, I just assumed he was one of them. And then we got a conversation, and he told me the class was too easy for him. Now he didn't. Now you know he's a teenager, right? It would have been better if he had told me that <laughs> than just acting up for several weeks. But you know, teenagers. And uh, then I just started giving him like, all right, here, do this extra, you know, work here. You know, you want to do a project here? I'll give you a project. And he was very excited. Again, wish he would have told me that, 
because <laughs> I was just like, this kid is trouble. But like, still, you know, I, it's just assuming people don't understand. There, there's times when people don't understand. There was a time when someone was moved up to it. And, you know, I'm not so big on high and low, but there were, there was literally one time when someone moved into a class and they really couldn't handle. And I felt really bad. I'm like, she's, she's not going to get anything out of this. You know, I wasn't doing anything particularly amazing, but it was clear that I would ask her things and she would turn to the next person. I'm like, all right, go. This is, this is, <laughs> and I don't, and I felt bad because I think that she genuinely had like a delay, right? And not because of her language issues, but just from everything else I knew about her. And like they, she was from a culture where they didn't talk about like disability and stuff. So that wasn't something that they were going to acknowledge. So the only thing that I could do was advocate for her to be placed in the right class. What she really needed was like real support, but the school wasn't going to do that. And her family wasn't going to, this woman was like 30. So like the, the, her family had never given her the type of support she needed, whatever. Anyway, I don't mean to shame anybody's culture because it doesn't matter. You shouldn't do that to people no matter what the culture is. Um, but when we're obsessed, so I, I say all that here on this episode, listeners, because I don't want people to think that although I'm, an advocate of, you know, valuing people's translanguaging practices, and I'm not big on like strict hierarchies. I do understand if you have the option, you can't just place someone who's never heard English before into a class with someone who's, you know, completely different level. If you have the option, right? I I'm not being unrealistic. You know what I'm saying? I think sometimes people think that just because we advocate for translanguaging and we advocate against racial linguistic ideologies just being centered in the field, that we're just going to have a free-for-all at all times. And I don't mean, on the other hand, that, that it should be completely rigid, but like, you know, there will still be some sort of system. Uh, it's just that it won't be a top-down structure, is what I should say. You know what I'm saying? Yes. No, definitely. I think, of course, we need structure. I think that uh, structure um, structure that is discussed, that is intentional, that is um, helpful, that is not stigmatizing, not um, harmful, not traumatizing. I mean, there are ways we can... I mean... Think about it. We have so many good research and ideas that have been out there, and it's not used. It's just not used, right? It's just not. We tend to go to the same kind of stuff. I mean, I, and I say we, society, right? The same kind of uh, book and strategies and so take co-teaching for example as an example because something that I was uh, so um, deeply touched with the time that I spent in schools with teachers about this because I came in uh, it was funny because I came in with my my colleague and we we came in to give PD right to the teachers because the, the policy was being implemented and they needed PD on the strategies on how to co-teach better and so my colleague and I came in because she's a science person and I am a language person. And we're like, well, we can model co-teaching. Like uh, we work really well together. But then as, as, as we came, as, as we, we, we got really deep into the work as uh, working with these teachers every day, we thought, well, you know, these strategies are not really what is, in, in, is, is the problem here. First, we, we, we witnessed uh, the pushback right away of the students, the multilingual students being placed in the mainstream classes. So that was a big um, uh, initial challenge, right? Because now all of the teachers will have to teach these students, right? Uh, and then we, and second of all, we saw the big push for the, the language teachers to be co-teaching with the mainstream classroom teachers, which in most of the cases didn't work because they were not afforded something basic, which is co-planning time by the school. So you can see the imbalance already there in power, right? Because if I am a language teacher, I'm coming into your classroom, you're teaching and we don't have any co-planning time. What's, what, what, what's the power that I have in saying anything? 
during the class and, and providing uh, and, and giving ideas, right? So then uh, you, you get the, the, the marginalization of the teachers that are there to help and work with the multilingual learners that are also being like um, uh, the target of a lot of pushback. And so it's, it was such a mess because I, I mean, initially you think, wow, yeah, teachers need to collaborate. And then, and then you see that there are so a lot of these systemic problems. But initially, if you just had given these teachers the time to dialogue, the right time, talking about structures, right? So these right structures for putting place and the support for them to really have a dialogue about what it means to teach a diverse class and a linguistically diverse class, and 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 um, support the students, and uh, obviously deal with a lot of the uh, uh, racism that is present because you know now the the, the classrooms have uh, more brown students uh, that they had before um, because in this case that we were working was uh, students uh, Spanish speaking. So anyway, it's it's like. There are a lot of issues going on there. And then for you to go there and say it's about strategies, oh, you're not doing the, the right strategy for co-teaching. That's why it's not working. No, it's not why it's not working, you know? So I think it's it, the structures, um, yeah, the, the structure is important, but not, I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I think that, I don't know, I don't know how to, to do to, to conceptualize this better than what I, I mean, I have to think more about that. But I, I think structure is super important, but you said it, it's not about a top down. It's, it has really to be something that needs more time. And, and then when you talk about something that requires time in school, people will run away from you because they don't have any more time, right? It's something that they don't have. So they will push the ideas away. Right, especially because you're challenging the fundamental way that they do things, you know, and it's like people have sometimes said to me, or maybe I've just heard it in the discourse that like, whether it's anti-racism or pushing against whiteness or whatever, it's like, it, it's going to be so hard, it's going to take so much time. And it's like, on the one hand, no, in the sense that like, once you start doing it, it won't be so hard, but it is going to take a long time because it's not going to be a quick fix. You know, and that's why they always want a little checklist. You know, like well, I did these things and I solved racism. You know, and uh, it's a uh, it's a problem because it makes it so that all of the uh, supposedly all the things that need to change are reduced to bullet points, checklists, and all this stuff. And, you know, it makes it really harmful to uh, try to actually change things in, in the field, right? Because like, like you said, especially for K-12, right? Um, you're talking to those teachers and you're like, you should do things differently. And they're like, I'm overwhelmed just learning how to be in the classroom. You know, as we were, we literally just saw, right, uh, online, the, you know, somebody posted something about diversity that both of us thought was harmful, which is a separate issue. But then all the responses were from white people saying, I'm just trying to, you know, protect myself uh, in the classroom, which is a that's a legitimate concern. Yes. But it just shows that to a lot of, let's say it, white teachers, uh, you know, everything else will rise above this as an issue. And until it reaches that point of salience, like for me, this is something where I can't just go each, there's no days I can go where I'm like, I'm just not really gonna think about the way that racism affects the things that I do. I'm just not gonna think about it today. You know, I don't have those days, right? Um, I have to think about it at some point every day, not just because of what I chose to research, but also because of you know, my life and the work that I do with my son and so on and so forth. So I just think that, yes, the current state of public schools is an issue, but there will always be something. You know, there will always be something. And um, also, if you get into the practice of doing anti-racist work in language teaching, 
it's not that hard after you get on the path. You, you, it, it's, it's, I always use this as an example because it's the best thing I can think of. But like with my running, for example, I had to get to the point where it was more effort for me to not run than for me to run you know, where I had to make it so if I had a plan to run on a given day and I didn't do it, I would be like all torn up and stressed about it and so forth. You know, I didn't want to be stressed. I just like wanted to do it. So I made it so where it was such a habit and I don't mean an addiction before people get on me for like orthorexia or something. Um, but like a habit where like it, it would have been more work for me not to do it. And I want that to be the case for, for language folks or TESOL folks in terms of challenging racial linguistic ideologies, challenging other types of ideologies, challenging whiteness is that, yeah, the initial part is gonna be stops the starts and it's not gonna be linear, but you gotta get to the point where you can't even sit there with something that is racist and just elide it or move past it. You have to, it's an imperative to do something about it, whether that's just in your classroom, which you sometimes is the only thing you have the power to do, or it's in the field. Like you go to a conference and you're like, this is messed up. Uh, and you can't ignore it. Like you deeply can't ignore it. You don't have the option to ignore it. Even if your response is to talk to someone privately about it, fine. But you got to get to the point where in the, like, that's what I want from all these people is not for them to just think like this. I think a ton of people in this field see a lot of the issues, even if they don't understand how they're connected. People aren't that ignorant. Um, people are just trying to go along to get along. And once they see all these connections, I just genuinely think it's, it's, it's hard to stop seeing them. Yeah, I think the challenge, it's true. The challenge also, I think, for K-12 specifically is that we, uh, the, the English teaching, the ESL, whatever you call it, because there are so many names, um, the language teacher so that is there, that's a legitimate teacher, is a marginalized uh, professional profession. So, so in the building, right, in the structure of the building, uh, these teachers are not central. They are not invited for important PD activities. They are oftentimes a guest in, a, in someone's classroom. Uh, and often they are not uh, seen as the experts that they are. Um, and so I think that in this case, uh, it's, it's hard because you, the teachers, uh, I feel that they, they are doing the right thing, but their power is so limited, right? Uh, they cannot even sometimes advocate. So I, I'll give an example. I, I worked with one teacher, a teacher of color. Uh, she um, was in this other teacher's uh, room. Maybe uh, this matters. The other one was a white teacher. And, and the, the, the teacher freaked out because she wouldn't get new students and um, immigrant students. Uh, and uh, she would uh, just freak out. And the students would, they felt it, right? These students felt it, the elementary students, they felt it. And the, the English as a new language teacher wanted to help the students, but the other main classroom teacher did not accept her input did not like this shut down. There was a there was distrust there. And also the Yenal teacher felt humiliated because she could not even say anything. She could so she saw that injustice happening, right? When you get a new student's like, oh my gosh, I'm more, one more shooting. And we know the other teacher is overwhelmed because yeah, it's it is one more student. You have 30 students on you have 31. Uh, it's a student that you don't know how to work with. Uh, you will then not have any preparation. Your, your, your teacher education program did not prepare you to work or whatever your life experiences didn't either. And you feel overwhelmed, but then you have a colleague that can help you, that is an expert, but there was no, no trust there. And, 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 and then witnessing that was pretty hard because um, it was both the students 
and the language teacher that were uh, shut down in this sense. So what do you do in these situations? Uh, it's really systemic. So I don't think this is an isolated uh, example. I think that's a typical example of the situation. So, so that's, that's harder because you know that the language teachers, they, they know what to do, but they are so limited. So I think it takes TESOL to another level too, in the sense that when, what happens when you are, when you become the, the, the marginalized professional too, right? Yeah, this field, man, you know, and, you know, it keeps us fighting over scraps, you know, we have these, some people sometimes will have these completely weightless intellectual arguments about various things in teaching language, especially the second language acquisition people. They just have these weightless arguments about the way that language is, you know, absorbed into brains. And meanwhile, the rest of us are out here trying to change our assumptions about who languages belong to. You know, who is included when we talk about an English user or an English languager, right? And who is excluded, you know? And what does it mean to use English, to communicate in English or another colonial language, right? What does it not mean? You know, um, this goes to names too. What counts as a name? What counts as identity? So I'm just, I ponder all these things and I wonder what there is to do about it. But I think that I think that we have to, as people who have connections to the field, not only not give up, but push um, as we are trying to do in ways that we don't need to mention here because we have plans uh, so that the field has no choice but to listen to us. Because I don't think the field, and this is a big portion of what I wrote in the book, um, I don't think the field is nearly as strong as it wants us to believe that it is against the force we push against it. We just need the indifferent people to come along with us. And if the indifferent people come along with us, the hardliners and the people in charge of the field don't stand a chance. That's what I think. We just need the fence sitters to get off the fence. So let's do it. <laughs> it's kind of, <laughs> it is. It's 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 kind of um difficult. It's a good difficult conversation. But I think, yeah, I think starting by listening, right? I think that it's kind of cliche, but I think that the work with people, right? Not um, not so much of the teaching. I think I learned so much just by working with someone um, and really seeing, like being, being there. Not that, I don't know, I don't know if I make a difference, uh, like a huge difference, but being, in a, uh, being there, right? Being, giving a sense that, yeah. So in the situation, for example, like I, I, I get it. I am, I am, I, I know what you were saying. Like uh, you're not being heard. And you want to you want to help your students. So how can we? Like there is there is strength in being more than one, right? Uh, so I think that uh, that's the way. That's the only way. And it's not me going, for example, with my work, right? Not me going to my students or my or the teachers that I work with, like oh, I know everything, and I will uh, teach you how to with. The, how to do this and no I think it's really about well how can we together uh, improve make it better for the students right so who are students what are what are the challenges and let's let's get to work and that's something that I think people are not used to and and it takes a while for people to understand that you really want to work with them not to like teach them right like not 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 uh, you're not there as a, as a, as the the knowledgeable that will will solve all their problems, and but it's someone that is there to 
I am, I am with you. So let's do it. Let, what, what is, what is good? What is, what do you think will work here? Uh, what are your ideas, etc. So I find this inspiring because it gets us on the same plane level. So I think when it comes to the indifferent people, maybe that's something that um, maybe will help that, uh, that they are part of something, right? So make them feel that they are part of something or in a group. That's it though, right? We have to teach people, even the people who the field would like to tell are the automatic experts because of their identity and their skin and so forth, that they need to work with us to change things. And I think, you know, some people may not like that, but I think we do need the dominant groups to work with us. And I don't mean we need to do things according to them. We should still be the leaders, but um, so that we can make a new field that's that's good. I don't want to say equitable because that's when people get weak weight willed, but I feel that's better for everybody. Um, and uh, if we do that, I really think that the field will, will acquiesce to our pressure over time. Um, but we have to be explicit that we want to put that pressure on because I think sometimes even these great ideas, they're putting their ideas out there, whatever, but we have to take the ideas and we have to put pressure on all the pressure points whether that's you know, the teacher training, whether that's these state organizations, the national organizations, the journals, all, like all these aspects of pressure until the structure collapses and collapse seems scary. But remember, whenever a new building goes up, the building that's there before has to be demolished for something else to be constructed. So uh, I don't think demolition is necessarily bad. It should be a controlled demolition as they say, but then something else can be built in its place. So thanks for uh, joining me this evening. Uh, Clara, this was definitely a fun conversation that I was looking forward to, and I'm glad that we had it. Oh, great. Um, yes. Um, if you have a, any final thing you want to share before we sign off here. Yeah, I just want to share, like, if people are listening to us, that we love a good conversation and good work together. So please reach out. And, um, yeah, let's think together not going to happen if we do this individually we have to do this together it's a good point yep 